The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, hello. My name is Darren Smith, and I'm the senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. Welcome. Uh, we're going live here this afternoon to pre-record the first draft or edition of the Summer of Psalms, Psalm 61 sermon for Sunday. Thank you for joining us. We will be recording this live, but we'll be uploading it uh, for Sunday morning use unless the sermon drastically changes between now and then. We are Tower View Baptist Church at towerviewkc.com. You can find more info there or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash towerviewkc. And we're on YouTube as well. Just type in Tower View Baptist Church. Welcome, especially if you're joining us and, and you're, you're, you're a Christian. We're so glad you're here, especially if you're a Tower View family member. Uh, we, we thank you for joining us. This is our last sermon in the Psalms. We've been doing Summer of Psalms, and this is the last uh, Sunday of summer, officially, at least by the meteorological calendar. So we look forward to that as well. If you're joining us and you're not a Christian, thank you so much for your participation today. As we go through this psalm, we'll have uh, direct talking or application to you as well. We look forward to uh, interacting with you as we go through this time. Let me pray for us, and then I will read Psalm 61, and we will start our time together. Again, this is a pre-recording of the service for Sunday. You're watching this on Sunday. Uh, thank you for your prayers as we go through this time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the time we have to study your word. Father, as we come together, and especially in Kansas City in this time of year, it's that time where the weather's just nice all the time. It's cool mornings and mild afternoons. The leaves will be changing soon. But Father, as we end this study of the Psalms, we know we've only really just hit a psalm here and a psalm there. We haven't gone through all 150. But as we close this today, Father, as we look at what Psalm 61 says about when you feel distant, when you seem in a galaxy far away, that, Lord, you would be lifted high and glorified in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And Acts tells us you're not far from each one of us. So, Lord, we know, especially those of us who are Christians, that your spirit dwells within us and your presence is here. Father, you are omnipresent all everywhere, God. But we thank you most off that we can feel that we know that forgiveness if we've been found in Jesus Christ. So give us wisdom today, Father, as this message is preached. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 61 today, if you have your Bible, Psalm 61, as you hear God's word. This is what it says from the ESV Bible. It says this. Hear my cry, O Lord, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, verse 5, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king, and may his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God, and appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Psalm 61, verse 8. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows each day? Well, there's a story about a certain little boy who greatly missed his father, and who he was separated from his family, this father was, by a long military stint. 
For the boy, his son, was comforted by a picture of his dad that sat in a frame on his nightstand. And when the little boy was frightened at night, he would stare at the picture and imagine his dad was watching over him. But it did not work one night. His mother, who heard his crying, came into his room and asked what was wrong. and said, son, what's going on? And through the tears, the little boy said, I want daddy to come out of the frame and be here with me now. You know, it is one of the most common experiences of the Christian life. Like that little boy who was missing his daddy, sometimes in the life of a Christian, God feels far away. Almost like he's hiding himself or at least withholding his reviving presence from you. And so when you, you, you feel destitute during those times, you feel dry, feel desperate even for a sense that God is still there, that he's still listening, that he's still caring. But you can't seem to eke out a prayer since even in those times, like that young boy who just missed his dad, you feel empty and, and those prayers seem, as they say, to bounce off the ceiling and return to you with an echo of defeat. Perhaps this is why in Psalm uh, 22 we see the, the words that we, were, uh, that we heard this last week where it said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, Psalm 22, verse 2 says, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. If this sounds like the cry of your heart, listener, be comforted. You're, you're not experiencing anything new or abnormal. In fact, this has been the, the reality, the lot of God's people for years, for centuries. You're in the same boat of a multitude of other Christians who've gone before you and who walk beside you even today. But there's some comfort in this reality. It cannot fully cradle our fragile hearts since feeling far away from God like that young boy is really, if you're honest, a frightening experience. Knowing others who've been there only shaves off the corner of the worry. So we need God's word to speak to us about this reality that we might know how to persevere and wait with hope when God does feel far away. He feels distant like a galaxy far, far away. I mean, does God seem far away to you? I mean, how are you handling it, especially in this COVID time? And that's why I love this song. That's why I wanted to end with this. Because I wanted to talk with you today about how to handle these times. How David handled these times. And that is our big idea. That in this life, we are never so far away from God that he can't hear us when we call upon his name. We're never so far away that God will not answer us if we cry out to him. The point of the Bible is to know and see and hear the God who hears, sees, and knows us. That's what Exodus 2 talks about, that, that God remembered the people of Israel. He heard their grumbling, and he heard their cries for help. And if Psalm 147 says that God hears the young ravens that cry, Matthew 6 says that God takes care of the sparrows, does he not hear our cries too, Christian? Remember, God didn't shout at us from far away. He came down and dwelt among us in the person and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. No one is too far away from God that they cannot be saved. And no one is so close to him that they do not need to be saved. If you're a Christian, you know that. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that reality as well. That God is not so far away from you that he cannot hear you. But you first must turn to his son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, two actions we must take when God seems far away. Two actions we must take when God seems far away. First, we must pray with a backbone because of what God has achieved. And secondly, we must pray with a backbone because of what God will accomplish. 
And we see that there in Psalm 61, 1 to 4, and verses 5 to 8. Now, this Psalm, Psalm 61, David was at a place, we don't know where he was physically, but he was at a place where God seemed so far away. And he wanted, David did, to return to Jerusalem to worship God, but he knew that that, that wasn't possible at that time. He longed for a greater sense of, of God's presence and protective care and, and, and even his grace. So he prayed that distance that he felt from God would be transformed as it was before into an intimate relationship. In doing so, David shows us that when God seems far away, we are to do what those two actions we're going to look at today entail. We are to pray. We are to seek God in those times. Because again, you can never be so far away that God cannot hear you when you call him. So let's look at that first action we're called to do when God seems distant. In Psalm 61, verses 1 to 4, David tells us to pray with a backbone because of what God has achieved. To pray with a backbone because of what God has achieved. Now, the book of Psalms, as we've said frequently, is like a hymn book, a song book for the Jews. But as you read it, it's, it's more also of a prayer book, too. It not only taught the Jews and all those who called upon God to worship, but it also taught them how to pray. And isn't that what the disciples asked Jesus? They never went to Jesus to say, Lord, teach us to preach or teach us to sing a nice solo or teach us how to have the most radical, cool church around. They simply asked Jesus how to pray. And a lot of that background came from the Psalms because the Jews gave expression to the prayers of the heart for which they could not find words by going to the Psalms, especially of David. And so in Psalm 61, David tells us to pray with the backbone because of what God has achieved. And, and the first thing you see that he tells you to do as you pray with that backbone is to, in verses 1 to 2 to beg God to listen to you, to beg God to listen to you. The Psalm begins with words of lamentation. It says in verse 1, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. These opening words teach us the important nature of prayer, that when David cried to God, the word cry refers to a loud, piercing scream. And it was most often used to describe a cry of joy. But here in Psalm 61, as he's begging God to listen to him, as he's praying with the backbone for what God has accomplished, he expresses agony, not ecstasy. He, it, it's an SOS distress signal. It's, a, it's something to say, God, here I am. I need you again. So why did, God, why did David cry to God in prayer? Well, verse 1 tells us. He, he says, God, I need you to hear me. And God, I need you to listen to me. David is not going through the empty ritual many of you grew up with, with good intentions from your folks, perhaps, but just to say your prayers. He's getting it off his chest does not help. Inventing does not satisfy him. He needs God to hear his cry. He needs God to listen to his prayer. He needs to pay God to pay attention and take heed to what he has heard. And guys, that's what prayer is all about. It is not about saying the right words. It is about getting uh, something to the right ear. And that ear, of course, is God. So he is begging God in verse 1 to listen to him. And he says that God can hear us from the ends of the earth. Did you see that? He says, that David says, from the ends of the earth, I call to you in verse 2. What does he mean from the ends of the earth? Well, some think this is just a poetic statement. Others think he's talking about in the afterlife. And so it may be that David's near death here. But I don't think that's what's intended. What I would say is that this is a reference to the spiritual. David felt distant from God. He felt like he was in the desert when God was in the oasis. And he describes his spiritual reality in geographical terms. 
From the ends of the earth, Lord, I cry, I call to you. And he says it is as if he's found himself at the most remote part of planet earth. Yet from the ends of the earth, David called to the Lord. He begged for the Lord to listen to him because he was praying with a backbone because of what God had done before. But again in verse 2, he says, I call to you and my heart is faint. The King James translates this when my heart is overwhelmed. And indeed, if, you, if you've ever prayed before, there are times when life becomes so overwhelming to you that it's more than an emotional response to difficult circumstances. You really feel totally, utterly exhausted. And it's when one's whole being runs out of energy. It's, it's when you're without hope or courage or strength. And when your heart is faint, you become tired physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Throw whatever condition it is. And it's not bad enough to be at the ends of the earth, like David says. But it's so bad when your heart is not so bad, rather, when your heart is filled with courage and strength that says, hold on, we're coming out of this. But when you're like David, you're praying, you're begging God to listen to you. David says, from the ends of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Friends, even when your heart is faint, you beg the Lord to listen to you. And I want to be clear here. I use that word beg in a sense of the tone of David. But if you're a Christian, God always hears your prayers. We see that throughout the Bible. We think of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 when he was praying this Roman centurion. And God's, the angel came to him and said, and said to him, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. And so we know God hears our prayers, but there are times when you are in the spiritual desert that you must beg God to listen to you. Not that he's unwilling to listen to you, but he wants you to reconnect with him intimately so that you know that self-sufficiency, that pride, that anything else will never take the place of what he is able to do in your life. So David says here that he's praying with a backbone because of what God has achieved. That's our main point. He's begged God to listen to him. Now, at the end of verse 2 and end of verse 3, he's going to beg God to lift him, to beg God to lift you and lift him, not just to listen, but to lift. David uses three wonderful pictures here about how God is going to lift him, to protect him. The first is, is that God is a rock. Verse 2b says that, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This prayer in verse 2 confesses that David can't do it, but God can David needed a rock because he was literally weak. It was an accident, or it was an ancient panic room, a safe house, where you could go to is, is what this was. But David is like a shipwrecked sailor in a, in a crazy sea. He can't swim to safety. There's no lifeguard on duty. His only hope is to get to a rock for which he can hold on. And David needs that rock to be high because he is small. A water-level rock provides no safety from the crashing waves that overwhelm him and seek to drive him back to sea. He needs a rock that is higher than he is. David further needs to be led to this high rock because he is blind. He can't see through the storm. He needs an invisible hand to turn the storm, to order the waves, and lead him to a rock. He's begging God. He's praying with a backbone. He's begging God to lift him up. And so where is this rock? Who is this rock? Well, David gives us a hint by using the definite article. He prays to the rock, capital R, not a rock that you just find in your backyard somewhere. He prays to a rock, God himself, not to anything else. In fact, 22 times in the Psalms, God is called a rock. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be moved. 
And then again, in verse 7, on God, on God rests my salvation and my rock, my mighty rock, my refuge is my God. Psalm 62, verse 7. God is our rock. And friend, he has proven this to you by sending you his son, Jesus Christ, who's fully God, fully man, to die on that cross for your sins. And if you're not a Christian here today, I just want to encourage you with this, that God tells us that no matter what comes before us, the greatest decision you must make is what do you do with Jesus? Peter came to Jesus and said, uh, said Jesus, people are talking about you, and Peter was asked by Jesus, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And friends, so too, God asks you, who are you trusting in? If you died today, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? Or are you simply going through the motions of whatever is there before you? You need to turn to Jesus Christ. So he says, as he begs for God to lift him, he says, God is a rock. But also in verse 3, God is a refuge. David gives two reasons why he asked God to lead him to a high rock. The first is that God had already proven himself to be a refuge. A refuge is a place of safety. It's, it, it is another ancient panic room. And, and this is our God. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And David is begging God not only to listen to him, but to lift him up. And when he flees to God, he discovered that no one but God could keep him when he cannot be kept. God is a refuge. Christian, in these days of COVID, these days of change, you need to remember that. God is your refuge. He is your rock. But notice, thirdly, he says here that God, in verse 3, Psalm 61, verse 3, God is a strong tower, a strong tower. This is the second reason why, God, why David asked God to lead him to a high rock. He says God had been a strong tower against the enemy. A strong tower serves as the same purpose as a refuge. But there's a difference. A refuge is where you turn for safety when the enemy chases you away from the city. But a strong tower is where you turn to safety when the enemy comes and tries to attack and take over your whole city. A strong tower, of course, was a place built into the wall of the city. The watchman would stand guard in the strong tower and keep watch and give signal if an enemy came. And, 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 and it was a strategic place during a battle where you could feel safe and be on the offensive. And a refuge was a safe place to hide, but a strong tower was a safe place to fight. And this is our God. He not only is the rock that holds us, he's not only the refuge we go to, but he's the strong tower where we can watch him fight for us. As Exodus 14, 14 says, God told Moses, just stand back and watch me, and I will fight for you. Proverbs 18, 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it. And he is safe. That was penned by David's son Solomon years after his death. So as David is, is, is taking action when God feels far away, let's just remind ourselves how we got here. We're in our first main point that David is praying with a backbone for what God has achieved in the past. He's begged God to listen to him, verses 1 and 2. He's begged God to lift him in verses 2 and 3. But now in verse 4, he's going to beg God to watch him. He's going to beg God to, to, to lodge him, to house him, if you will, because his presence is always there. And why does he say this? Well, he says it first off because, he, because God lights up our life. Look at verse uh, first part of verse 4 there. It says, let me dwell in your tent Forever, Let me dwell in your tent forever. And what David is saying, it's more than a tent. This was a tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the Lord met his people. 
Before the temple was erected, the tabernacle was the house of God. And David asked to dwell in the tent of God. And this may indicate that David was in exile somewhere and longed to return to worship. But we don't know for sure. But what we do know is, is that Psalm 24 says, that great famous word that we know. David prayed, One thing I've asked of you, Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. This seems to be David's focus here as he prays to dwell in the Lord's house. It is the Lord who lights up, who lodges him, who lights up David's life so much that he doesn't want to leave. It's like that house that, that you can always go to. Maybe it was your grandparents or maybe it was your in-laws. Maybe it was just your parents' house where it's just a nice, cozy place. that You know, no matter what life is thrown at you, that you can go to, that you can be a part of, and everything's going to be okay there. And David says, Lord, I feel distant from you. I'm begging you to listen to me. I'm begging you to lift me. Now I'm begging you to lodge me because you light up my life just as your presence comes in and lights it up. But in the end of verse 4, he also says that God is going to lodge him. He's begging him to lodge him because God locks down his life. He says, let me take refuge, Psalm 61, verse 4, second half, take refuge in the shelter of your wings. He says, let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Remember verse 3, David said, you have been my refuge. But now he says, let me take refuge. Let me lodge with you, Lord. Let me, let me be a part of you. Lock down my life. Secure me, Lord. You know, it's like a mother bird would permit her babies to eat and play in an open space. But when she saw a predator or, or, or a storm coming or something that would, that would overtake them, she would call her babies back to herself. And, and as they fled to the mother bird, she would open up her, her wings, wouldn't she? And they would hide under the shelter of her wings. And David, as he's begging God to hear him, as he's begging God to lift him up, he knows that God is the only safe protection for him. And this is how God watches over us. Psalm 17, verse 8 says, David prays, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And again in Psalm 61, verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Christian, what does this mean for you? I think it requires of you that you pray. This is a prayer of David. When you pray, you don't pray like a jellyfish. You don't pray like Gumby, that old green guy that can bend every which way. You pray with a backbone. Because guess what? When you beg God to listen, God listens. When you beg God to lift you up, he's already working on your behalf. When you beg God to lodge you, he's already sheltering you under the presence of his wings. Doesn't mean life will be easy. Doesn't mean life is without difficulty. Doesn't mean life won't throw a few curves your way in God's providential sovereign plan for you. But it does mean his presence is securing you. It's locking down your life. It does mean, no matter what you face, that David faced similar things. And when God seems distant, you need to remember that God is listening to you. That God has lifted you up. And that God has lodged you. If you want to get back... To a, to a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to participate first off in praying with a backbone and remembering that first point, all that God has achieved. How many times has God listened to you, Christian? How many times has God lifted you up? How many times has God sheltered you, lodged you, so to speak, under the shelter of his providential care? More times than we can recount. We get so mad at those people in the Old Testament that God does a great and mighty thing, and a few days later they're already forgetting they're grumbling. They're complaining. Friends, we're no better. There's nothing new under the sun. 
Maybe it's time for you to write down all the things, big and small, that God has done for you. Take a few, email it to yourself, text it to yourself, write it on the wall, put it on site, whatever you got to do. But remind yourself of how good God has been, because he has been good. Therefore, point number one, you can pray with a backbone because of what God has achieved. Second point is this, the action to take when you feel separated, distant, when God feels far away, you pray with a backbone for what he has achieved, but you also are looking forward to the future. Secondly, you're going to pray with a backbone because of what God will accomplish. Because of what God will accomplish. Again, in verses 1 to 4, David draws near to God by remembering the past blessings. But here in verses 5 to 8, David draws near to God by anticipating future blessings. The latter half of the psalm teaches us how to pray with confidence for what the Lord will do. So hang on. First, I want you to see in verse 5 that to pray with a backbone for what God will do in the future and accomplish, you need to recognize the trustworthiness of the Lord. Verse 5, recognize the trustworthiness of the Lord. It says in verse 5, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. This verse does, not, does more than look back at what the Lord has done. It's, 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 it's a calling out, a declaration, it's an announcement of God's unwavering faithfulness in every season of life. That no matter what you face, he, he who has called you is faithful to the end and he will accomplish it. That he who began Philippians, a good work in you, will, will accomplish it at the day of redemption. David says at least two things here that demonstrate this. He says, God, you've heard my vows. This is the second time of, of David mentioning a hearing. In verse 1, David asked God to hear him. But now in verse 5, David acknowledges that God has heard them. But note the distinction. In verse 1, he asked God. He Remember, he begged God to listen to him. Here he says God has heard his vow. He has heard his prayer. Of course, a vow is a promise that would often accompany a prayer for deliverance. Some would use vows as a crafty negotiation tactic. You know, God, if, if you do this for me, if you scratch my back here, I'll scratch your back there. I'll go to church every week, God, if you answer this prayer. Oh, that's the biggest lie the world has ever probably heard. God is not quid pro quo. He doesn't scratch your back and you scratch his. God is God. He's above you. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. But what David is saying with confidence is that God would answer prayers. And that to do so, he would offer a vow of sacrifice of thanksgiving. He wouldn't give an empty promise. And Christian, in a day where everybody changes their plans and everything is changing, do what the scripture says. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, and let all those uh, yes and promises uh, in Jesus Christ be amen. That's what we know. And so what he says is that God will do his part. For you, God, have heard my vows. And that's why he says, remember and, 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 and trust in him because he is there with you. He's going to recognize the trustworthiness of the Lord. But he goes on in verse 5. He says, you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. The name of God, it reflects who he is. So great is the name of God that it is to be feared. To truly know God is to live in a holy fear of saying or doing anything that would bring dishonor to that name. This becomes a means of identifying the people of God, that they fear his name. Christian, you are to fear God. You're to respect Him. You're to honor Him. You're to be in awe of Him. And those who fear the name of God receive a heritage, which refers to the benefits of being in relationship, or, or it's used another biblical word, covenant with God. 
and the spiritual inheritance of God's people. And David's day, that included the promised land. But that was all because of God's faithfulness. But we who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ can also say this with David, that we have and are the beneficiaries of a heritage. We were given by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, in the name of Jesus alone, a heritage that can never be overtaken. We were given in the will of God something that can never be taken away from us, but that we could never earn. And non-Christian friend, I told you we talk with you. This is where this comes in for you. The heritage we have is that we have been saved. Our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That we were, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that assurance? You know, I was out running the other day uh, in the early morning hours on an old deserted road around this area. Uh, and and it's, it's a dark road. There's nobody out there ever, really. But just at the time, at 4 or 5 in the morning, there just happened to be a group of teenagers out there. And I stopped my run. and I probably didn't make my coach happy, but stopped my run. I talked with them just briefly and shared the gospel with them. And if you're a non-Christian, maybe you can identify. These, these kids grew up in the church. They could recite the verses I was telling them. They could, they could expand with their lips what I was saying. But they rejected them with their hearts and with their minds. They turned to Norse gods. They turned to Odin and other false gods. And I reminded them in that moment that, 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 that Satan himself and his minions, the demons, can masquerade, can, can, can look like something good, but really it's just like an apple you bite into. It's rotten at the core. And I challenged them to turn to the only name that can save them. That is the name of Jesus Christ. But I told them in that moment, guys, the greatest heritage I have is that Jesus has forgiven me. What assurance do you have? These teenagers, probably on some drugs at the time, to be honest, looked at me and said, we have no assurance. Odin doesn't promise us forgiveness. And friend, that is the promise of the world. There is no forgiveness. But with Jesus Christ, there is. And what he says in verse 5 is that we have received a heritage, and that heritage is something that we have confidence in. Christian, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Neither height nor death or anything under heaven or earth can ever take you away from the love of God. And Christian, let me tell you this. God can't love you more today than he did at the day he called your name before eternity passed. That's why you can trust him. He's worthy to be trusted. You can recognize the trustworthiness of God. But he goes on. Another reason to pray at the backbone in the future. Not only the trustworthiness of God. But verses 6 and 7 say we can rely on the truths of God. Here are verses 6 and 7. He says, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now as I was looking through this text this week, it, it, it is kind of weird. I, if you're reading through this, David is praying a prayer about himself, and then all, or kind of, then he goes to the king. It's kind of David. Could you be more selfish in this moment? I mean, it just seems very disruptive. It seems to come out of nowhere. It has no obvious connection to the rest of the psalm. But there's one thing, church, that we've learned about these psalms is these words are not just mismatched together like some uh, uh, thing that a toddler would mix in a mixing bowl. But the complexity of his prayer is increased by the fact that David turns. For praying in the first person, I, to the third person. And you must think beyond the service reading as a result. And when we turn to Psalm 61 for help and comfort and strength, we are tempted to read through verse 5 and skip over 6, 7, and 8. But to do so is to rob ourselves of the blessing of this psalm. And David makes an abrupt transition, but listen to what he has to say here. 
These complex verses show us what it means to trust and rely on the truths and the promises of God. We see in this how David prays for himself and beyond himself. David prays in verse 6, Prolong, Lord, the life of the king. This is a foundational request that the people prayed for the king. The stability of the nation was based on the life of the king or the leader. So it was natural for them to pray, long live the king. But here David humbly prays for himself. At the end of verse 7, David prays, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. A king needs to be strong and have strong guards to protect him. But David prays that God would appoint two special guardians. He says, God, send me your steadfast love and God, send me your faithfulness. And these twin characteristics of God bring assurance that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Surely goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, verse 6, shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, David says in that famous psalm, in the house of the Lord forever. So in verse 6, he's relying on the truths of God because he prays for a long life of the king and may his years endure to all generations. It was natural for David to pray that his life as a king would be prolonged. I mean, uh, how, but, but, but why would he ask for his, his uh, uh, years to endure to all generations? Because verse 7 tells us, now, maybe no human king is going to live forever. Verse 7 says, may he be enthroned forever before God. Look, human kings don't remain on their throne forever. They're going to die. Ten out of ten people die. You get that. We understand that. But David is praying beyond himself. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant that David's throne would be established forever. And friend, let me remind you that that promise was ultimately fulfilled in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, 31, it says, The angel Gabriel told Mary, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. David is praying, Lord, I'm relying on your truth. I'm praying with a backbone for what you're going to accomplish in the future. And I recognize that you're trustworthy. But I'm also praying, Lord, that you bring the Savior, you bring the Messiah, and you restore not only Israel, but all the world for all those who call upon your name. And David trusted that God would keep his promise. And all the more, church, so should we. If you think God has failed you, He'll never fail you. He's not failed you yet. Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the ultimate proof that God will keep his promise. Friends, you can recognize and remember the trustworthiness of God, verse 5, but you can also rely on the truths of God because they are rock solid. They are sure nothing is going to change them. Pastor Nelson will fail you. Pastor Craig, Pastor Darren, myself will fail you at times. But the Lord God will not. He's promised forgiveness. It's not a wanna, coulda, shoulda, woulda. It's a guarantee. He's forgiven you. You can trust him. So he's saying pray with a backbone for what God will accomplish. Recognize, remember the trustworthiness of God, verse 5. Rely on the truths of God, verses 7 and 8. But finally, revere the titles of God. Revere the titles of God as you wait for what he'll do in the future. Notice what verse says. 
through, you know, or verse 8, excuse me. He says, So I will ever sing praises to your name, O Lord, as I perform vows day after day. We started out with a sad note, but as most of the Psalms do, we've now turned to a high note of praise. The key to this closing verse is that little word, so. This little word binds our prayer in verse 1 and our praise in verse 8 together. Grateful praise is appropriate response to answered prayer. When someone gives you something you've been wanting for a long time, maybe it's a birthday gift or an anniversary gift, or by golly, after 30 years at the same company, you get that watch that you've wanted and you just want to wear it with pride, whatever it is, you're always going to say thank you because you're grateful. And so David, with a sense of determination, says, I'm going to praise you forevermore and sing praises to your name. He's revering the titles of God. And the answer to David's prayer had not yet come. So he's kind of uh, preemptively determining his response. He determines his response before his prayer ends in verse 1. Yet when God answers, he will sing praise to his name. And this is the second time the name of God is mentioned. Remember in verse 5, it speaks about fearing the name of God. But here in verse 8, it speaks about the joy that God's name brings. And when God brings you out, when God brings you back from that spiritual desert, when he brings you back from what seems like a faraway distant place, you will joyfully serenade his great name because you couldn't be more thankful to anyone or anything than the Lord God himself. Now, David was for sure a skilled musician and a great singer, but he didn't choose to sing to God on the basis of his gifts and his talents. Answered prayer should result in songs of praise, wherever, whether you can sing or not. What matters is, is what David says. He says, I will sing praises to your name, and I'll proclaim, and I'll perform my vows day after day. Remember, a vow to God was to be paid by a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and the purpose of a vow was an act of worship. Basically, what's happening in verse 8 as we close is that David was willing to pay the cost. He was willing to perform his vows. It's what he owed God. David wasn't going to sit back and be muted in his worship to God. He would lay, he could not lay silently his offering on the altar. The Lord had been too good to him. We say that phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. It's become so routine, yet it's so true. As he performed his vows, David couldn't help but sing praise to God. I bet the Lord had been too good to you that you can't either. You have to offer up worship to him. And so he says, he says, I'll ever sing your praises. Sometimes we feel like singing, don't we? But sometimes we don't. But our praise, Christian, should not be based on how we feel at any given moment. It should be based on the two life-changing acts of God. And these are what they are. Christian, that Jesus died on that cross for you. That he took the wrath you deserve. He, he took the punishment you deserve. He took all the, all the judgment of God on himself and became a curse, the Galatians 3 says. And that he paid the penalty for your sin. That's the biggest thing you should praise God for. But right there with that is that Jesus was buried. And when all the world looked like it had defeated the Savior, he busted out of that grave. He rose from the dead to give you new, eternal, and abundant life, forgiveness of sin, security in heaven, and the promise of his spirit out here on this earth until you die and he calls you home or he returns. Friend, the worshiper of David's day was only required to perform his vow once. And when the sacrifice was over, the vow was over. But a one-time payment of praise was not enough for David. 
He was relishing the names and titles of God. He was revering the titles of God. And the goodness of God is a debt that he could never repay. So friend, no matter where you are today, remember that big idea. Remember that wherever you are, no matter how far off God seems, that you can call out to him and he will hear you. But you need to remember what that first point one verses one to four. You need to pray with the backbone for what he's done in the past. You need to beg him to listen to you. You need to beg him to lift you up. You need to beg him to lodge you. But it doesn't end there. Remember, we also need, secondly, when we feel far off from God, we need to pray with a backbone for what God is going to accomplish, what God is going to achieve. And you need to remember the trustworthiness of God. You need to rely on the truths of God. And you need to revere the titles of God. For He is worthy. He is able. He is sufficient. And He can take your problem. As we enter into perhaps one of the most difficult seasons that we have seen politically in our nation, medically in our nation, in a long time, if not ever, we need to remember this song. When God seems far off from you, He's right there with you, but He's asking for you to pray with the backbone to sing with the backbone, to worship with the backbone, even when you don't feel like it. For God is worthy to be praised, and we are needy people. Let's go before him today. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you so much as we end out this sermon today. Thank you for your time, Father, that you gave to us, the time on this earth, numbered by your, your hand, Father, carried along by your Spirit. But Father, no matter what we face in the time you've given us here, we pray that we would pray with the backbone. You have done great things in the past. You're doing great things in the future. But all along, we need to praise you all the day. We need to thank you for how good you are. Father, thank you for the study of the Psalms. I pray it's been a profitable one for all of us. And it is, because we're in your word. Teach us what we need to know through these things. Father, thank you for each one who's hearing this, both live and in person and over the, the streams of the airwaves, internet or audio. Father, draw those to you who do not know you, especially praying for those who do not know Jesus Christ. They would turn to you and be saved. Thank you mostly for your son, Jesus, in whom, is, in, whom ah, in his name we pray. Amen. Sometimes a tongue twist. Friend, if you're watching, thank you so much again. My name is Darren Smith. On behalf of the staff here at Tower View Baptist Church, we want to especially thank you for coming and joining us. We invite you to our service and drive in church. And, and, and the green space and in person inside if you'd like. Please get a hold of us. We can help you in any way. If you're not a Christian, don't let today go by. Today is the day of salvation. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Guys, until next time, thank you so much. We will see you then. God bless. Bye-bye.